Welcome to the Queen City Church Podcast. We're so excited that you decided to join us, and we wanted to personally welcome you. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our goal is that this message will encourage you and give you practical steps for a relationship with God that keep getting better and better. Enjoy the message. We're in week six of a series that we're calling Run It Back, where we're taking a look at the first 100 messages from our church, and we're reteaching some of them, running them back in the context of our current season. And so today, we're going to go back to week 54 of our church to a series that we called You Asked For It. And the reason it was called You Asked For It is because we did a survey, and this is what you asked for. So we asked the top four questions that you had. We turned those into messages. And today, the question that we're going to talk about is why can't I stop struggling with the same sin? And in a season where for the past six months, many of us are, as a society, we've been dealing with more isolation, more depression, more anxiety, uh, more disconnect than we've ever experienced before. I think this topic is so important, so real, so, so valid and relevant to right now. And so we're actually going to start off with a little survey of our own. Uh, if you're hanging out at a watch party, don't worry. It's not going to be too revealing. But just by a quick show of hands, I want to know, okay, how many of you have ever done something that you didn't mean to do? Maybe you didn't want to do it. It just came out. It just slipped up. I like to call those a did I do that moment, right? So have you ever been uh, with your family, maybe your spouse or your kids, you just blew up on them out of nowhere and you're like, oh, why did I do that? Or have you ever been in a work environment? Maybe you're in a meeting and you, your mouth went a little quicker than your brain and it came out and you were like, oh, did I really just say that? Did I do that? Why did I do that? Or have you ever been with a friend or a significant other and you answered the question the wrong way and you're like, why did I say that out loud? Did I do that? Did I do that? And speaking of running something back, that phrase, did I do that, actually comes from a little piece of goodness from back in the 90s. I like to call it TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. And there was a really iconic, just multifaceted at the top of his acting game in the 90s actor. And his name, if you don't know it already, is Steve Urkel, right? And if you don't know anything about Steve, uh, Steve was kind of a disaster magnet. So at some point in every single episode, there was a moment where Steve walked into the room and something fell apart, something broke, something blew up. It just happened. It just out of nowhere. It just It's how Steve's life worked. And in that moment, it was like one of those moments where the music would stop and everyone would look right at Steve and the camera would zoom in on his face and he would wrinkle his nose and he would say, did I do that? And the reality is, we've all had those moments. We've all had, did I do that, experiences. And I want you to know that it's not an issue of, of you being personally flawed. It's an issue of you being personally human. In fact, there's a guy in the Bible, his name's Paul. And Paul was a big deal in the realm of Christianity. Like, like scholars believe that he wrote at least 13 books of the Bible. 13 books, not chapters, not verses, but books of the Bible. And Paul started many of the first churches that ever existed. And he had a face-to-face -face encounter with God. I don't know many people who can say that, but he could say that. And if, if there was a Mount Rushmore of Christianity, right, just boom, Paul's face right in the middle, okay? So listen what Paul had 
has to say about those did I do that moment. He said, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. In other words, let me put it this way. If there's something inside of me that knows when I'm doing it that it's wrong, then there's also something inside of me that knows God's ways are right. And he says, so I'm not the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature because I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. And I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do that anyways. Anyone ever experienced that before? I do it anyway. I hate it. And he says, but if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that doesn't. And I love what verse 20 in the message says. It says, something has gone wrong deep within me and it gets the better of me every time. When I read that passage, really, when we camp out on verse 19, when I hear that question, verse 19 is that exact question. It's, I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. And I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do that anyway. How can I not have that in my life? How can I not have verse 19 in my life? And the truth is, no matter your background, no matter your age, no matter where you come from, your socioeconomic status, whether today is your first time in a church experience or you you started in church the first week you were born, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we've all had, did I do that, moments. You're not alone. And so when I hear that question, when I hear why can't I stop struggling with the same sin, I think for a lot of us, that question is laced with a lot of shame. And just to be clear, I mean shame. I I don't mean guilt. I don't mean conviction. I mean shame. See, shame is the feeling of, of being flawed that causes us to be fearful of being uncovered, unworthy, or rejected. And none of us want to feel that way. Like, nobody's signing up for that. And yet, have you ever noticed how often we act like shame is a good thing? Uh, for instance, have you ever heard the phrase, you should be ashamed of yourself? Like emphasis on the should. Like this is what's best for you. God's best for you right now is that you feel shame. And I think what's happening is we get shame and guilt or or even shame and conviction mixed up. We treat them like they're synonyms when they're anything but. So I just want to make a few distinctions, lay them out on the table of what we're talking about when we talk about guilt versus shame, okay? So guilt focuses on our behavior, what I did, right? And shame focuses on self, who I am, Guilt speaks to an action or an attitude, and, and, and shame speaks to our identity. See, guilt says, I made a mistake, but shame says, I am a mistake. See, guilt causes us to do things differently, but shame causes us to hide from God and from one another and, and even from ourselves, And the big takeaway I want you to take about shame today is shame is not from God. In fact, researchers and anthropologists, people who study human behavior for a living, say this about shame. They say that it's highly, highly correlated with things like addiction and depression and violence and aggression and bullying and eating disorders and even suicide. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like something a God who came, lived a perfect life, and died 
so that he could give us the gift of eternal life would want to wish on anyone because it's not. Shame does not come from God. Shame is a destroyer. It's a destroyer of our relationships, of our, of our hope. It destroys our progress and our growth. And the way it does that is by trapping us into a cycle. So here's what that cycle looks like, okay? Cycle starts with a mistake. We all make mistakes. Maybe um, the cycle starts with maybe you accidentally lied or, or maybe you lost your temper. Maybe you looked at something you shouldn't have looked at on the internet or, or, or maybe um, you got drunk, you know? So it starts with a mistake. I did something I didn't want to do. And then, and then when shame enters the picture, instead of feeling like you made a mistake, you feel like you are a mistake, right? It affects the way you look at yourself and how you feel about who you are and who God made, right? And nobody wants to feel that way. I mean, so what do we do? We want to fix it, right? We want to make up for it. And how many times have we said the phrase, I will never blink again? And what happens? Inevitably, we do it again. Right, and like Paul talks about, he's like, I didn't want to do it in the first place, but I did it anyway, and I felt awful the first time I did it, and now that I'm trying to fix myself and I did it a second time, man, I feel like a lost cause. I feel like I'm broken beyond repair. I'm so ashamed of who I am, and then boom, before we know it, we're trapped in a cycle, and that cycle goes around and around and around and around until, and that's the issue. Right, Because the cycle never ends in success. It never ends in achieving perfection. See, in the cycle of shame, we work harder and harder and harder to try to fix and perfect ourselves. And in the end, we just sink deeper and deeper and deeper into this pit of our own shame. It's like quicksand. And how many of us in these past six months, in this crazy season, maybe we've lost some habits that we used to have. You used to spend time with God. You used to make sure I worship. You used to make sure I, I read my Bible. And instead, we picked up some habits we wish we hadn't, right? We, we, did, we made some mistakes, and we tried to fix ourselves, and we couldn't, and now we feel like we're trapped. It's a miserable feeling. And I know that from first hand experience. Let's talk about shame, right? Shame, the feeling of being flawed that causes us to be fearful of being uncovered, unworthy, rejected. And for me, for a long time in my life, rejection was the big thing that I avoided. So I spent a lot of time in my life manipulating situations so I never had to feel rejected or unloved. And what that looked like is I lied a lot. And it started when I was really young. Like I remember being six or seven, and I remember hanging out at my cousin Jackie's house. She's babysitting me, and um, it was in the evening. I loved Jackie. She was awesome, and she decided to make dinner for us, right? She decided to make mashed potatoes and gravy, and something you should know about six or seven-year-old Jasmine is that gravy grossed me out. To this day, to be really honest, when I see brown gravy, I just have questions. I have questions. I have lots and lots of questions. But so I'm sitting here, she's, she's making the gravy and I'm like, I can't tell her I don't like it because I don't want her to be mad at me or reject me. Right. And so I remember thinking, oh, I know what to do. So she puts it in front of me and I go, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm allergic to gravy. I can't have that. 
And yet for some of you in the year 2020, you're like, maybe the kid had a gluten allergy. You don't know. But let me assure you, 1995 was well before the dawning of the gluten-free era, okay? I had not been diagnosed with a gluten issue. I needed to be diagnosed with a lying issue. Um, and that issue just lasted for years and years after that. I mean, I got really good at it, and I felt confident in it until I got caught, right? When I got caught, the relationships I was trying to keep by lying were jeopardized by my lying. And I didn't know any other way of resolving or fixing the issue and avoiding rejection but to try to fix what I broke by lying with another lie. And then I would say to myself, oh, I'll never lie again after this last one. But it was never the last one. And then I felt so bad about how much I lied to the people that I loved that I started drinking to numb the shame that I felt about lying. I started drinking so much I couldn't stop, and then I started lying about how much I drank. So I was lying, and I was drinking, and I felt so much shame about how much I was doing both that I started picking up other addictions, coping in other ways, and I felt trapped. I couldn't get out. It was like I just get deeper and deeper and deeper, and that's exactly what it looks like to try to fix yourself. That's what the cycle of shame does to you. But I have really good news. And that's that I am a living example that that cycle of shame can absolutely be broken. Now, if I'm you, I'm in your seat. I'm like, okay, good. I'm glad it can't be broken. Can you tell me how, right? That's the question. Why? Tell me how. And I would love to. And to do that, I want to share um, some scripture with you out of the book of Chronicles. So it's actually about another guy in the Bible. His name's David. And David's another one of those people who would have been on the Mount Rushmore of Christianity, just like right next to Paul. And uh, David's story, he actually has this kind of Cinderella ascension to become king of Israel. Right, and in, in his story, God actually calls David a man after his own heart. And if you're like me, when you hear that, you think, Wow, David must have been pretty close to perfect. And let me assure you, David was the opposite of anything close to perfect. I mean, he was the hot mess of hot messes. <laughs> Whatever your worst mistake is, that was David's mistake on a good day, okay? And you don't have to take my word for it, you can read about the life of David in the Bible. It's absolutely fascinating, but we're going to talk about one of those mistakes. It's not even the worst one, okay? But what happens is David's king of Israel, and he takes this census of all the people in Israel, basically like, God, I don't need you. Look at how many people I have, right? God's not pumped about that. And so we're going to pick up in verse 7, right after he takes the census, and it says, God was very displeased with the census, and he punished Israel for it. Then, God, then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt for doing this foolish thing. And then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, and this was the message. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. I will give you three choices. Choose one of these punishments and I will inflict it on you. And so he gets to hear the choices and then David goes on to say, I am in a desperate situation, he said to Gad. But let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. Do not let me fall into human hands. And when I read this passage, I see three things David did, three choices he'd make that we can make to break the cycle of shame in our lives. And so you can write this down. Here's the first one. You have to make the choice to get honest with yourself. 
got to get honest with yourself about the fact that you can't fix yourself. See, David immediately says, I've sinned greatly. Ah, I made a mistake. And then he goes on to say, what am I supposed to do? Look at what he says. He says, I'm in a desperate situation. I, I'm in over my head. I've made a major mistake, and I don't know how to fix this. I need help. And a minute ago, I talked about how shame, research says it's highly correlated with things like addiction and depression. And so when I was reading up, I started to read about the Alcoholics Anonymous program, the AA program. It's a 12-step program that's helped millions of people around the world break their addiction to alcohol. Okay? And I just want to read you their first three steps. Here they are. We admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And here's the thing. This isn't your grandma's deliverance program. This isn't even Queen City's Freedom Ministry small groups. This is a program that people who love God and don't know God and don't believe in God, they all go here to get help breaking an addiction to alcohol because they know it works. And the whole program is based on the premise that you need God to fix your problems. There's a verse in the Bible, it's in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, and it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us. For a lot of my life, when I heard that verse, I, I couldn't help but picture the immeasurably more, right? The bigness and the grandness and the limitlessness and the power of God and all that is very real. It wasn't until more recently I started to really understand the weight of the back half of that verse that says, according to his power that is at work within us. And for many of us, if we're really honest, the way we live our lives, we live our lives like that verse says, according to our efforts that are at work within ourselves. Like we don't even have to be taught that. We come out of the womb believing our life depends on me, right? God helps those who help themselves. And that's not biblical. And that's not in my notes, but you can keep it, okay? But here's the deal. There are people who are listening right now and you've spent your whole life trying to fix yourself, trying to achieve perfection. And you've worked so hard for so long. You've, you've, you've tried to quit smoking. You've tried to quit drinking. You've tried. You've tried. You've tried yourself out, and you're exhausted. You've quit, not because you don't care, but because you're just so tired. And can I tell you why you're so exhausted, friend? It's because God never designed you to carry the weight of fixing yourself. It's not in your DNA. So the first choice we have to make is, is the choice to get honest with ourselves. Here's the second thing. We have to make the choice to get help from people. When I read verse 9, I think verse 9 is one of the most underrated, just sleeper verses in the Bible. And here's what it says. It says, the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, and this was the message. That's the whole verse. And the reason I think it's so powerful is because it's such a perfect depiction of what it looks like to refuse to live your life alone, to refuse to try to tackle your problems alone. 
And what I think is so interesting about this whole experience, you know, God called David a man after his own heart, right? Like God and David were boys. They talked all the time. They talked every day. They talked all throughout the day, except for this time. God spoke to Gad for David. Because sometimes the voice of God in our life sounds a whole lot like the voice of someone else, right? I want you to write this question down, okay? Who do you know in your life that loves Jesus and knows your secrets? Who do you know? And can I tell you something? I'm going to tell you something. If your answer to that question is no, you are in a dangerous spot. You are vulnerable. Like, not everybody has to know, but somebody does need to know. And for some of you, your biggest fear and what keeps you from telling your secrets is is you don't want to be exposed. And I get that. I get it. I get it. I get it. But what I need you to get is that you're missing it. Because the point of telling your secrets is not to expose you. It's to free you. Because the truth is, you don't own your secrets. Your secrets own you. Your secrets tell you what you can and cannot do, where you can and cannot go, who you can and cannot be around because you don't want to slip up in front of the wrong person, right? What you can and cannot say, what you believe about yourself, what you think God believes about you. Your secrets determine so many things in your life for you. And as long as your secrets stay secrets, they'll continue to make many of your decisions in your life for you. Brene Brown, she's a world-renowned shame researcher. She says this about shame. If you take shame, you put it in a Petri dish, right? And you want it to grow. All you need are three things for it to grow exponentially. You need secrecy, you need silence, and you need judgment. But if you take the same amount of shame, put it in a Petri dish, and you douse it with empathy, it cannot survive. Some of the two most powerful words we could ever hear when we're in the middle of struggle is me too. Me too, man. And that is why we are so unapologetically passionate about the fact that small groups are a big, big deal. It has nothing to do with making sure you check a box that says you hang out with Christians all the time. It's not about that. It's about putting you in an environment where you can consistently be in a safe place where when you work up the courage to say, I'm struggling, that someone can look you in the eyeballs and they can say, me too. But you know what? We made a mistake, but we're not mistakes, right? Like Pastor Brian said last week, small groups, they're not a luxury. They are a necessity because we all need that. And the good, good news that I get to share with you today is that small groups for the fall semester at Queen City start next week. Actually, our directory is releasing today, right now, today. You can go to queencitypeople.com and you can check out all the small groups we already have. We'll keep adding them throughout the week. But guys, we've got online groups and in-person groups and hybrid groups and freedom groups and finance groups and family groups and um, groups about the message and groups about activities. I mean, there's all sorts of options. And the reality is, it doesn't matter which one you choose. It just matters that you get in one. Because we all need one. And let me tell you something about forming those types of relationships, those kind of relationships. You're not going to drift to them naturally. It's going to take work. It's going to take effort. It's going to take courage and trust. Maybe branching out, getting out of your comfort zone. But what I can tell you is, 
It's work, but it's also worth it. And I went through a season um, a while back where I had a lot of secrets. I, I, I wasn't even new, like this was well into the church planning season, so I knew a better way of doing things, and I just wasn't. I was very well aware of the weight of the choices I was making, and um, I kind of got to a point where it started destroying a lot of my relationships, and um, I had said, you know, I don't have to say anything because I won't do it again. And then I would do it again. I would do it again. I would do it again. I was, I was stuck. And I hit a point like David where I said, I'm in a desperate situation. I need help and I need it soon. I'll never forget, I, I, wo- I worked up the courage to walk in um, to the home of two of my very best friends, Brian and Heather Cromer. And I remember I had to look in the eyes of two people that believed in me more than anyone else I'd ever known. And I didn't tell them the hardest thing I'd ever had to confess that I, I was struggling and I had secrets. I had a whole part of my life that they knew nothing about. And I'd gotten to a point where it was eating me alive from the inside out. And I'll never forget that moment. What happened on the other side, I was loved. I was encouraged. I was hugged. Heather pulled back tears in her own eyes and she looked at me and she said, I'm so sorry you've been going through this all by yourself. She didn't shame me. She affirmed me. And I was reminded that I'm still a child of God, that God still has a plan for me, that that I'm not done yet, that I'm still part of this family. And then I was walked through an extended process that led to my complete freedom and a life free of secrets and shame. And I want to tell you that that's available to everyone listening to the sound of my voice right now. And that there's nothing that compares to the feeling of having that weight lifted off my shoulders. And I can guarantee you that your secrets are not worth your freedom. But I never would have experienced that if I hadn't made the choice to get help from people. And there's one last thing. We can't end without that thing. It's extremely important. Here's choice number three. We have to make the choice to get connected to God. And I think it was honestly just God's mercy in my life that I was reading about the story of David right during this season when I was walking through that process. And, um, you know, I had had seasons in my life where I was not following God. And so my choices reflected that. And I was fine with that in that season. But I had never before had a season where I loved Jesus and I loved God and I loved serving and I loved the church and I loved getting to help people. And at the same time, it had this massive sin issue on the side that nobody knew about. And I remember when everything came to light, it, it was like it clicked for me, the disparity between who I wanted to be and where I was at the moment. And I never felt so much shame in my life. I haven't felt that much shame since. And it wasn't because of the people walking through that. All they did is love and affirm me and encourage me. But I just had this shame that I couldn't shake. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in my windowsill and I was you know, doing my Devo, spending time with God, reading my Bible. And I was reading about the life of David and I had always had this tension about the life of David because God called him a man after his own heart. 
David made all these massive mistakes and I couldn't put the two together. How could God still love him and use him when he done what he did? And really it was a reflection of how could God still love me and use me after what I did? And I remember I was sitting there and it literally was like one minute I didn't have the thought, the next I did. And I realized God called David a man after his own heart, not because David was perfect like God was perfect. God called David a man after his own heart because David understood that connection to God's heart was the point the whole time. And my default, when I made a mistake, I would run away from God. But David's default, when he made a mistake, he ran straight to God because he understood that the whole point had always been connection. It had never been perfection. Nowhere do we see that better than in verse 13, right? Verse 13, David, David says, but let me fall into the hands of the Lord for his mercy is very great. Do not let me fall into human hands. And if you're here and you're, you're dealing with that issue, you've been trapped in a cycle, you, you're stuck, you're making the same decisions over and over and over, you feel so much shame, I want to make sure you know, like David said, God's mercy is very great for you, that he is still on your side, that he is still fighting for you, he's still in your corner, he's still committed to your purpose. In fact, Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, and God does not break his promises. So we don't have to focus so hard on, on being so perfect and doing the exact right thing. If we focus our energy on spending our time with the right one, like any relationship, he'll rub off on you, right? Because he wants a relationship with you. He doesn't, he doesn't just want your church attendance. He doesn't just want your money. He, he doesn't want your perfect behavior. He wants your heart. He wants a relationship with you. And if you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to remember this. Write this down. That God can never love you any more than he does right now. And God can never love you any less than he does right now. For some of you, you know, when you make a mistake, you feel like, man, the earth might as well split in half and there's this massive chasm and God's over here and I'm over here and I can't seem to reach him. I can't seem to touch him. The reality is that's very real, that our sin separates us from God. But the good news of the gospel is that whatever gap was created by your sin is bridged not by your perfect behavior but by what Jesus did on the cross. That's the whole point of the cross. It's the whole point of Christianity. Christianity is not a country club for perfect people. Christianity is a hospital for the sick, for the broken, for the messed up, for the ones who can't get it all together. And when you get admitted to the ICU, you don't ever get released because you never stop needing Jesus. We never stop needing Jesus. We will need Jesus a little more today than we did yesterday. And we'll need him a little more tomorrow than we did today. We will always need Jesus to come and do in our hearts what we can never do on our own and change us from the inside out. See, what actually breaks that cycle of shame and self-loathing is it's the cross. It's this. 
because shame looks at you and shame says, here's your problem and there's no way out. But the cross looks at you and the cross says, here's your problem and here's your way out. How do we stop struggling with the same sin? How, how do we break that cycle of shame? We run to the cross. The cross bridges the gap. The cross bridges the gap. The cross bridges the gap that our sin in the past created. The cross bridges the gap that our sin right now and in the future created. The cross bridges the gap between the person that you are right now and the person you know God created you to be. The cross bridges the gap. We want to give you an opportunity to bridge that gap in your life today. If you'll bow your head and you'll close your eyes. I want you to not think about anyone else in the room. Just create a space for you and God. And in this moment, I want you to ask God right here, right now, God, what are you saying to me today? What does my response need to be to this message? Maybe, maybe your response is that you need to get honest with yourself and, and, and be real about the failures and the secrets and the struggles that have been eating you alive. And you need to say some things out loud so that your secrets can stop owning you and you can walk through a process to freedom. Or maybe your response today is that you need to join a small group so that so that you can experience what it looks like to not fight your battles alone, to let other people have your back and be intentional about that. Maybe, maybe today you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, to let him once and for all bridge all the gaps that sin has created in your life. Or maybe you've already done that, but now you're here and you just feel so far from God and you just need a fresh start. If that's you, I, I would love to leave you, lead you in a simple prayer. Because the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You're one genuine confession away from eternity changing forever. And if that's you, I want you to pray this in your heart. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I'm so sorry that I've lived my life without you. I repent. I change my mind and my direction. Will you come live life inside of me? Will you change me and make me brand new? God, I surrender everything to you, all of it. I give you my whole life. Right now, I choose to follow you, to have a relationship with you. Jesus, I thank you today for doing what we could never do ourselves. We love you so much. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has changed your perspective on God or life, feel free to email your story to info at queencitypeople.com. We'd love to celebrate the change happening in your life. We'd also love to pray for you. If you have any prayer requests, big or small, head over to queencitypeople.com slash prayer and fill out the form with as much detail as you'd like. For more information about Queen City Church's service times, location, or events, visit queencitypeople.com or follow us on social media platforms at queencitypeople. 